Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Brian J. Rowan, your host, coming at you before the episode begins. To just give you a little warning, we had a technical issue that we are troubleshooting, wherein there is some clicking on the vocal track every now and then for myself and our guest, and we are not quite certain why it happened, but we are 100% going to try to fix it for next time. If you happen to be an audio engineer who might understand this phenomena, please do reach out. Uh, otherwise, we're going to post this. We've done our best to get rid of the clicking, but I think if you listen long enough, it becomes a pleasant little backbeat that will in no way drive you to murder. So, we hope you enjoy our review of West Side Story, and uh, here it is. Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. The Jets are gonna have their way tonight. The Jets are gonna have their way tonight. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Rob Ibar. Hola. We also have Bill Graham. I think I'm a shark. Are, are you? Yeah, I'm definitely Mexican-American. Yeah, but th- ugh, Bill, I mean, I don't want to say that you're really paying with a broad brush, but neither are the sharks. Well, but I'm definitely not a jet then. <laughs> That's a good point. You're going to have to found your own gang. Oh, okay. All right, you have until we'll I'm done the, introducing we'll be the empanadas. Uh, you, no, to, you gotta was... be the pumpkin spices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. I can uh, be the, the PSL boys are here. They're gonna take you down. <laughs> it smells vaguely of cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, uh, we are joined by uh, guest Neil Bahadur. But I, Neil, did I say that right? It's been so long, I can't remember. Bahadur, yeah. All right, cool. And uh, you were here today to help us talk about Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which was released this past weekend to, uh, I would say, mild ambivalence by movie-seeking audiences at large, (laughs) but uh, rapturous applause through uh, the critical sphere. So we are super excited to have you here to talk about this. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? So I'm just, I'm Neil Bahadur. I'm a filmmaker and writer. All right. Excellent. And as I said, we're here to talk about West Side Story. Super excited to do it. Before we get into that, all of the usual stuff, uh, we can be found uh, on uh, Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcastfilmstage.com. And of course, you give us a comment rating on iTunes. And uh, you can become a patron of this here show by going to patreon.com slash filmstage. Uh, wait, patreon.com slash The Film Stage Show. And for as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super cool Slack channel where we are currently talking about all manner of stuff as we approach the end of the year. And um, yeah, you get first crack at all of our movie-related raffles as well. Um, in fact, I... So I'm about to get my kitchen redone, right? Which wouldn't be a thing you'd think would tie into movies, except I have found in various random kitchen drawers and cabinets multiple copies of movies that I already had on my DVD shelf. So I'm about to probably announce to the Slack channel... That I will be auctioning off a, a Brian J. Rowan owned copy of It's Such a Beautiful Day by Don Hertzfeld and uh, possibly also Interstellar by Christopher Nolan. 
Why the fuck do you have them in your kitchen cupboard? Bill, I have no answers for you. I don't know. I found them and I was like, huh. All right. I should go put these back on the shelf. Like there was a party that was like, maybe I just had a weird moment where I was like holding it and put it down to get a gl- like glass of water, you know, and just forgot about it. But then I went to the bookshelf and uh, they were already there. Another copy? Yeah. Oh, so my house could be haunted. Uh, okay. So <laughs> just like secession, this is going to be an intervention. Brian, uh, just stop. Whatever stop you're doing. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, you need to stop. You All need right, to I will. I will attempt to stop buying extra copies of movies and hiding them from myself in strange rooms yes. in my house. But anyway, uh, so if you'd like to have a chance to get one of those, I don't know. Maybe I'll sign it, or maybe I'll like put a picture that my daughter drew in it. Uh, <laughs> become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/TheFilmStageShow. We are also brought to you by Mubi a curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, movie premieres a brand new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to there be a movie that you've been dying to see, or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime anywhere and we have a pretty incredible film to talk about today <laughs> mm-hmm. terrence malick's voyage of time will be coming to movie what this is incredible news uh this is like its first actual u.s release it's gonna be in 4k uh, digital do you like movies do i like movies i like terrence malick movies no oh, okay. this one's only 45 minutes long too so i mean like holy shit can't get any better than that anyway so this is going to be great it's uh going to be released on december 17th they have a new trailer out um and it's uh, it's awesome and this is one of the many reasons that we love movie because they allow us to see awesome incredible movies such as voyage of time which up until now is only available to be seen in theaters which is bananas um still waiting for the kate blanchett version but uh you know this is a good step in the right direction was that wait sorry can i ask something oh absolutely yeah no yeah wait was the imax version the brad pitt version and the kate blanchett was the standard one so allow me to read from jordan raup benevolent lord and master jordan raup's uh article on uh the filmstage.com him at long last terrence malick's awe-inspiring documentary voyage of time will be available to be seen by more eyes. Premiering back in the fall of 2016 in two forms, a 45-minute Brad Pitt narrated version for IMAX and a feature-length version narrated by Kate Blanchett. The latter still hasn't seen a proper U.S. release. So yeah, that is your answer. And it's coming to movie, the Brad Pitt 45-minute version. So get ready for that. Be excited, get amped. And uh, if you sign up for your free trial now, you will still be in the midst of it when this movie drops in four days. So again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial. So check it out. And that's that. Uh, do we have any other things that we want to shout about before we uh, get into our review of Steven Spielberg's West Side Story? I met with my critics group yesterday on Sunday, and we did announce, or we did our vote uh, it took about seven hours, but we did announce um, the Boston Society of Film Critics' 
best films and performances of the year yesterday. So I was very, very happy with that. And uh, drive my car. Oh, best score. Um, Spencer, Johnny Greenwood, Spencer. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. And Um, drive my car was the best film. Best film. Yes. Best film. And uh, also won best actor and screenplay. Who won best supporting actor? Troy Kotzer from Coda. Yay. Yeah, I watched I that did movie very... last week. It's delightful oh, nice. still. Yeah, he's so good in that. And I did, like, we all have this opportunity to um, give a special shout out to, you know, one thing that we really feel strongly about. And that was mine. And um, so he did one. And I was very happy about that. And Alana Haim won Best Actress. And Best Supporting Actress was Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter. Yeah. So we um we were really really happy with the with the films that were chosen for the selection and it was just a, we have a great group and uh, I think you know there's a lot of a lot of diversity in tastes but I'm very happy about that. That's awesome. Uh, Wafka announced their stuff and I didn't agree with any of it. So that was mm. very uh, dark. Wasn't it Belfast heavy? It like Belfast like won like two things, but like oh, there okay. were others like like just Power of the Dog won a bunch. Mm-hmm. something something i think the mitchells versus the machines won best animated. oh yeah yeah like that's that good it's good yeah. Yeah. anyway whatever <laughs> i was not... really happy when we talked to my group because i think belfast only came up like twice the whole time and i was like yes oh, yeah uh weirdly enough boston no love for the irish yeah. Or maybe well, it's the fact that they were Protestant Irish. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe if it had been out the Irish Catholics, <laughs> everyone would have been like, Belfast is the best. <laughs> I think a lot of people in my group thought the movie was too saccharine. So it just really never came up. Like like even Sierran Hines didn't really come up in the acting um categories, and he's probably a lock for the Oscar right now. Interesting. All right. So, well, yeah, as uh end of year shit keeps happening to us, uh you can Follow us all on Twitter to see what our various critics groups are doing. Bill, when does Dallas or whatever do its thing? Uh, I'm not in the Dallas film. Oh, so you're in the online. Uh, yep, online, and I don't have a fucking clue. So <laughs> usually, usually it's right around the time that I'm getting back from the ski trip. Uh, It'd be so funny if you were like, usually it's right about now. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. No. Highfalutin the ski trip, man. Yeah. Where do you go? Do you go to Vale? Do you go to Stad? Uh, no, none of those. I go to Big Sky, <laughs> Montana. Ooh, Big Sky. Oh, that's fancy. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. What's, what's the sky like out there? Nice. Uh, it's big. Oh, okay. Good. I'm glad it lives up to its name. We we used to have a movie theater out there, and uh, <laughs> then it decided to close during you know COVID. But also, it was kind of a piece of shit too. But I mean, yeah, that was sad. So now we're just gonna be watching them on the little last TV in the cabin. Woohoo! Well, it could still be fun if you pour yourself some hot cocoa, tip some rum into it. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. good. Awesome. All right. Well, that's uh, enough jibber jabbering and small talk uh let us get into our feature review which again is of the remake of west side story from director steven spielberg with a uh adapted screenplay by tony kushner and uh this movie stars rachel ziegler and ariana deboas i don't know if i pronounced that right and i'm going to move right ahead deboas is it deboas i don't know that's how i read it all right 
we're going to stick with that. And if I'm wrong, it's Robin's fault. Here is the trailer. Tonight, tonight, the world is full of light. This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. All right. That is the trailer for West Side Story. Again, this movie's out in theaters now. The plot uh, should be well known to just about everyone out there. Uh, And if it isn't, you can look up the plot synopsis for a little old play called Romeo and Juliet. This movie is about two gangs of street youths in New York City's uh, west side. Who would have thought? The Puerto Rican Sharks and the Polish-Italian Jets. And they are fighting. But then Tony, one of the Jets, falls in love with Maria, the sister of the leader of the Sharks. And bad things happen to everyone. But they sing and they dance. So, we're here to talk about this movie. I guess we're gonna have, like, I almost want to say we don't need a spoiler section. Like, it just feels to me like we shouldn't need a spoiler (laughs) section. Right? I mean, it's literally Romeo and Juliet, right? Right. Now. Like, <laughs> even if you haven't seen the 60-year-old movie that won, like, nine Oscars or something and is, like, a cultural touchstone for an entire, like, four generations, you still might know the Shakespeare play that is a cultural touchstone for even more generations. But I'll say that we will keep our opening thoughts as spoiler-free as we can, and then uh, it's probably just going to turn into a free-for-all. So if you don't want to be spoiled on the West Side Story... First of all, good work not having been spoiled for it already. So let's begin. Neil, what are your thoughts on this updated Wet Size Story? And if you'd like to give us some context with your feelings on the original or the uh, stage play or any other production you've seen of it, uh, please feel free to do that as well. I mean, it's a complicated movie to talk about because I really enjoy this movie. The new one, I mean. Um, and I think the filmmaking is spectacular. It's also pretty, you know, more clear than ever that the material itself is rather dated regardless even though the music i think is still remarkable um but uh i don't know it's only tough getting into this staying spoiler free to be honest (laughs) but but uh it's um it's very it it has a lot how do i put this it's uh it's a very if, if one wants to go see this film uh looking for a I mean, for pure filmmaking, at least on very emotive filmmaking, I think this is great. Um, but if you want some, like a serious look at, uh, you know, modern race relations in the USA, this isn't really the movie you want to see, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough you know, without spoilers. But I mean, I do think there's a lot to like here. And, and the highs are some of Spielberg's biggest highs, I think. And, All right. And the lows are more related to this kind of cultural thematic, con- and not necessarily thematic context. It, it's it's more just uh, the, the material culture, just rather dated. And it's tough to make. There's a lot of, uh, especially between the core racial dynamics, there's, you know, there's a lot of equivalencies being made where there aren't really any. <laughs> it's, so it's really tough to kind of, um, you know, it's like, you got like the jets out there making hate crimes and shit. <laughs> and then you have like Tony Kushner being like, 
there are bad guys on both sides. Like, I don't know, someone clearly started this. <laughs> so that's, I mean, we'll get into it when we get to my thoughts on this, but like, I, I just to draft off of what you're saying, because I feel like this oh. is the best opening I'm ever going to get. This is the case of a, a movie attempting to update the politics of a story and somehow making it like more racially charged and therefore the script comes off as incredibly tone deaf in still trying to carry through the themes of the original you know in a way that like it it annoys me because i i don't like to uh ever align or find myself aligned with what i would call like the cultural reactionaries of the world but like they're right about this one like every every choice that's made in an attempt to update what is considered a problematic story just makes Mm -hmm. this one a billion times more problematic yeah exactly yeah i've never really seen for me personally i haven't seen spielberg kind of take this leap in a certain way and that he's usually i think much more balanced i think you can see him trying to do that here but it's just it's just the material itself isn't strong enough and it's just kind of right i think i think kushner just didn't do a good enough job of realizing what he was doing yeah, it's like agree, it's yeah. it's, it's very that... much like munich actually with like you can't really i mean he kind of duffed it with the israelis and the palestinians there too to be honest but it has the same issue i think it's like you're making kind of uh a false equivalency basically well it's 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 a problem with you know if you clearly hate one side more than the other but you still believe in moral relativism i don't know how you live in the world and I definitely don't know how you think you've made a story that's yeah, balanced exactly. or meaningful totally in any agree. way. I think I remember at first viewing, which I really enjoyed, but I'm like sitting, I'm usually able to kind of think through Spielberg as I'm watching it. But this one, I'm like, why is there something not clicking? Like this movie just doesn't make sense to me yet, but what's going on? And then I'm kind of thinking about it afterwards. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> and then I'm talking to my friend of mine who brought it up actually. Um, like, the, the jets are just really racist like, yeah 100 percent. the jets the jets have turned in this movie from like a pack of street youths who basically just make trouble for other packs of street youths mm-hmm. and who are you know the castaways of society who who general like the general public doesn't give a shit about mm-hmm. and in this movie they're like the proud boys meet the Ku klux klan yeah. <laughs> This is not. I'm sorry. Have you met an old person from New York? That's yeah, what they sound many like. Many of them. <laughs> what do you mean that's what they sound like? I mean, they're pretty racist. Like people who grew up in that era, in that side of town. Like, I believe that they're. Well, I, usually, I, I know what you mean. I, know, they, I, know I understand what you mean, what you mean but usually they are a bit more like we stay to our own people and those people aren't white people. Those people are Italians. Those people are the Irish. Like some of the crazy racist things I've heard about, like from people in New York are about what like other people would consider just the same race. It's like, Oh, the Polish. Oh, the Irish. And it's like, guys, God, Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, I think the shame is too, is that with this film, there's a big, it kind of hits you know a lot of what i like about this movie is a lot of things i've been missing in cinema for a long time like that high romanticism of it the intense emotionality of it but just a sh- it's just kind of a shame that it's the, the material just itself is kind of foundationally not really suited to yeah the, the, moment. yeah the script and maybe is... it would have been even better if it came out 
pre-COVID or something because it was finished in like summer 2020. So like, but well, it's very clear that I, I, you know, I don't know what the full production schedule of this is, but mm-hmm. I have to imagine that like the Jets were informed by Trump. And yeah, like yeah, no, I his, agree. Yeah, his like you know rabble of stooges throughout the country. Mm-hmm. But again, but like I think, I think it's been made. But oh, sorry. Well, I was just about to say, like what you were saying, like you can't do that to the Jets and then still expect them to be at all sympathetic. And unfortunately, no matter what you do and no matter how you alter the songs, the general beats of the story are still going to attempt to make the Jets sympathetic. And if you go too far away from that, you haven't made West Side Story. Mm -hmm. And in the end, like you, you lose all the impact of the ending. But anyway. Yeah. No, so, I all right. All right. I'm excited now because I, I was worried I was going to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was worried I was going to walk in here with like the hot take of I think this movie is somehow more problematic than the one from 60 years ago. <laughs> and I was going to get shouted at. But I, I'm glad you're on my side. I'm, I'm excited again. My faith in my place in this world has been restored. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting in that like because uh, I actually like I, I think the ending still had impact for me because it's just it is a sad ending. I mean, what Chino kind of just goes to jail. He didn't like and he is one of the best arcs in the film and shit. You okay, know, so, see now we're back on disagreeing terms because I think what they do to Chino in this movie is ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, it's it, it's just interesting to watch because in a lot of ways I think the movie. How do I put this? Like you could have kept that similar that the Jets would have been. Why this actually? I actually can. I have to articulate this in my head first before I ask it. Okay. Well, yeah. If, if so, if you if you want to take some time to do that, we can move on and we can let uh, Robin Barr say what she thinks of this. Yeah, movie. yeah. Let's let's move on. Yeah. Ready for me? Absolutely. So I will preface this by saying that I watched the original film a few years ago. Uh, you'll kill me, Brian, because I did watch it on an airplane. But, yeah, um, you know me. I mean, I don't know <laughs> airplanes. I mean, if the movie is that old, I feel like. Airplane is fine. I don't know. Have I ever come out strongly against airplanes? I don't think so, but I know that you are a fan of the classic. Oh, I'm, so I'm a huge fan of the classic, but now I'm thinking like airplanes. You're in kind of a like you know a movie theater style seat. You know you can't use your cell phone. I feel like maybe an airplane is more of a theater experience than a than a house. In all honesty, I think that's a think piece you should write. I'm going to write it. I'm going to pitch it to the Atlantic. It's I probably going to get published should. in Slate, but I mean I'll pitch it to the Atlantic first. You know, I think Slate probably pays better anyway. That's true. Um, so I was not a huge fan of it. I mean, it, it was fine. There are a lot of things I liked. A lot of things I just, you know, felt like were creaky. Um, Russ Tamblin is excellent in it. The dancing mm-hmm. is great. Um, I even like Natalie Wood, although she's obviously miscast. But I just thought mm-hmm. that her her actual performance, you know, aside. I mean, how do you separate it from the brown face? Like, it's still pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't deny that. But I like her in this role, uh, even regardless. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things recommending it. Rita Moreno, certainly. So kind of going into this, I was like, uh, who wants this? Like the original wasn't even that great. I mean, I was very, very eye rolling about the whole thing from mm-hmm. the start. Cause it was just like, who the fuck needs this <laughs> at all? Yeah. And I would say took about 30 seconds for me to totally be like eye poppingly enthralled I, probably because of the cinematography like the right. that opening shot of just like the, the crane over um i guess 
it's the Upper West Side. <laughs> I think that, that's yeah. where it is. Speaking of that crane um, shot, we really missed an opportunity to bring Jordan Ralph on here to make him answer for the crimes of Lincoln Center. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> but yeah, like you're saying, it, the movie, like for better or for worse, it's like magnificently directed. It's, like, it's just <laughs> so beautiful. It, it sucked me in. So, yeah. It totally yeah. sucked me in. Yeah. So I kept, um, aside the aside from the maybe three minutes that I dozed off during the during the uh, performance of tonight. Which, sorry, I'm I'm no romantic myself. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, also that's um, just a terrible <laughs> staging of tonight. It was just very fall asleepable. Well, yeah, it's all courts there. Slop, I still think that the gym the scene, like the gym dance part, was much more enthralling and oh, much more weird. thrilling to watch. I, I feel like anything where he is in it, <laughs> the movie basically okay, okay. falls apart. I'm sure we'll we'll get into this, but I'm not a big fan of Ansel Elgort yeah, to begin yeah. with. So, of course, it was a huge disappointment when he was announced but i actually did think he could sing pretty well was i into tony no because I've, n- I've never been into tony i don't think he's that compelling a character mm-hmm. i think no, pretty much tough. everybody else on screen is more interesting than tony well people who are um, trying to be good always kind of suck <laughs> yeah it's like it's no bullshit. shit you know i get it i get what he is striving for and you i mean it's nice to be a sort of not nice but a dark character who is attempting redemption will always be much more interesting than somebody who's such a fucking goody two shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I can't say I remember a ton from the original. So every, everybody keeps bringing, or like, at least in the discourse, people keep bringing up like, well, this is what was better about the original. This is what was better about the, the new one. And I just, all I remember is a feeling and the feeling was, eh. mm-hmm. and I can't speak to anything specific about, Oh, well, this was so much better. or This is done so much better. But I just thought like Ariana DeBose, totally captivating performance i loved every minute of seeing her on screen i loved the costuming the dancing was fun i mean i don't think it was as technically marvelous as the dancing in the original film um like nobody can beat russ tamplin in my in my personal opinion i and i watched the original on friday before i saw this on saturday mm -hmm. and just like you're right. Like, yeah, Rust Ham, like, I'm just watching him. I just, like, my jaw was on the floor. And I was like, right. how is it possible? Like, just what he's... Like, they don't make him like him them anymore. No, <laughs> they, don't. they don't. He, like, he, he, like, looks at, like, a bar nine feet above his head. And he's like, yeah, I'll just grab onto that. And I'll pull myself up. Right. And I'll sing. And I'll then I'll do a skin the cat. And then I'll drop. And then I'll roll. And then I'll just keep on going, baby. And it's just like, holy shit, Russ. Right. Right. There's so the, they, the staging of like G Mr. Krupke, I'm sorry, G Officer Krupke in the original is just like butacious, like just mwah, beautiful. Yeah. And this, you know, was fine. It was cute, but the arrangement was just so not the same to me. Mm-hmm. But, oh, I did love what I thought was a complete improvement was anybody's. I just oh wow. I love their character in the original. You and I, I really much preferred them in this. No, they oh uh, wow. Which character is this? Sorry. Uh, this is um, the one that looked like uh, Dear Evan Hansen. I can sort of see that. So anybody's <laughs> is a, a gender non-conforming character. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. I remember, I remember this. Yeah. In the original, anybody's is like small and scrappy and like just mm-hmm. like a real spitfire, like a real crackerjack. 
And this one, they're kind of a wet blanket. I just like them both. Um, but I really like the emotionality that I forget the name of the actor. Um, oh my gosh. Iris Manaz. Thank Manaz. you. Yes. I, yes. I just really liked what they did with the character. I think they brought a lot, maybe more gravitas to a role that was like sprightly in the original. I, I like them both, but I appreciate the attention paid to this character because anybody's was kind of an afterthought. And I thought essentially they were the most interesting person on Wait, screen. Did you think like, anybody's was an afterthought in the original? Yes. In the oh, original, for right, sure. No. What? Mm-hmm. No, she saves Tony. She's the one who, the, in fact, if you, we don't have enough time. We just don't have the time for me to go as crazy as I feel like I need to, but like, we'll get to it. Please continue with your thoughts. I would. I. I, I want to get more into it because I. I just find their character a little more compelling in this. And, I, you know, I thought the themes of gentrification, you know, were a little bit on the nose. Um, maybe mm. Brian would say they were a lot on the nose, but there is no bring... nose anymore. There is just the themes of gentrification. <laughs> it did bring the film into the modern era in a way. I thought that was like accessible. You know, if people are have these themes on their mind um it's like a very 2020s topic of conversation Mm -hmm. so i thought that worked for me i mean will i feel the same way 10 years from now when the topic of conversation is very different i don't know but i thought tony kushner did a a very admirable job of updating this story in a way that felt organic to me without being Mm -hmm. too showy without being too ham-fisted um i know just really it worked for me. I, mm. but again, I don't remember a lot of the construction of the original and all the different plottiness. I just, mm. I was just with this all the way through, like enjoying the songs, enjoying the dynamicism, enjoying the, the everybody keeps calling this a craft movie. And I totally agree with that concept. I mean, the mm. costumes, the, the, because cinematography. it's full of carbs. I mean, that's fine, too. <laughs> no, I mean, like, if I called something a craft with a K movie and meant it's like craft macaroni and cheese, that would be a high compliment. It's it's a very warm film. I mean, just in terms of the of the filtering, it's just... I was about to say, boom. just in terms of the pools of light. <laughs> lots of yellows, lots of reds and oranges, and I don't know, I just thought it was lovely. And I thought Rachel Ziegler, 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 I just mm-hmm. thought she was very... Um, compelling to watch yeah. just she's i don't know really something about it yeah, yeah she's a, I, she's I, yeah, everybody was fun yeah she's a really she's a, I was like well she's hitting some high notes in this movie like wow <laughs> well i mean if you're yeah. maria you gotta you know yeah, tonight yeah. gets pretty high up there for maria mm-hmm. i mean what an incredible debut though no it's really good yeah is this her yes. debut yes pretty what sure. has she done before she hasn't done anything before this i don't think so i mean i could yeah. be wrong Definitely. So, so uh, looking at her her acting credits, this is the first one. I have to assume she's done something on Broadway or something like that. Just I thought she was like a high school person, like somebody who was probably a star in their high school. Interesting. All right. That well, that's even cooler. I'm not 100 percent sure. So so my overall feeling was. I loved being in the moment with this movie. I don't know if it will be super memorable mm-hmm. down the line for me but that's just because i have had issues with this story yeah yeah long before this film um it just 
you know, it's it's a creaky kind of story. It, it was of its time. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it doesn't, I think the reason the gentrification themes work for me in this film is because at least it feels like a lived in urban experience. Like it, it not lived in, but it's the urban type of experience that I can sink my teeth into because those are issues that are relevant to my community. Mm-hmm. Um, gang wars, not as relevant to my personal growing up. Um, but I know that it's, it just feels very like us versus them versus, you know, the second generation, like it's very much of my parents Mm -hmm. growing up experience, but not something that I feel is, um, you know, tangible to, to my life or even my life growing up. So, you know, is it a, is it a good story? Sure. Is it something that really brings out a lot of emotions in me? I mean, you know, that's obviously very personal. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting in that one thing I think Kushner hones in on here very well is that kind of um, <clears throat> the sort of domino effect of poverty and gang violence, which is very interesting, but it just gets so caught up in all, all the other kind of dynamics in the film that can be hard to like, to like, it's hard for it's hard for it to let it sink in in a way i think yeah almost like an afterthought or something yeah because it's there it's it's, it's, i think it might be one of the most effective parts of the film for me personally but it's just there's just too much kind of it's not like properly incorporated to like it's kitchen sink (laughs) yeah and it's 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 kushner's script to me is like it's like basically what i said it's not incorporated and so you have all these like different pieces that are kind of clanging against one another and mm-hmm. like we were talking about, like he's he's trying to make he turns the Jets into just full on racist sociopaths. Um, but <laughs> yeah, still, that's, that's, that's why that doesn't work is because there's you, 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 the, the, like there, if it was a, even like a different if it was just two gangs, it would make sense. Right. Exactly. And like but that the problem racist. is that he <laughs> he's coming at it with like the, the I guess what you'd call like a more modern academic read on the roots of this discord. Mm-hmm. which means that you can't like if if it's just two ethnic groups yeah yeah then it's different than if it is white supremacists versus you know people of color yeah exactly yeah which yeah. is what he what he kind of i would say reductively yeah. changes it to mm-hmm. um and that's actually a very and it's a very unhelpful thing to do to be honest like, 100%. Just, I mean, just you just can't make a case for the white supremacists. <laughs> Don't do that. Like, right. Uh, and and when we get to my thoughts, I'll 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 speak a little mm-hmm. more to that. But before we do that, Bill Graham, what about yourself? So, I guess I am realizing at this stage in my life that I don't really like musicals. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be, it's going to be great if like we're here like arguing the merits of this adaptation and different arrangements and you're just like, musicals, man, not for me. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. Okay. So I, I kind of looked back and I, I was like, okay, what, what great musicals have I seen? And honestly, there haven't been that many. Uh, I mm. haven't checked very many off my you know, the, the IMDB top 100 or, you know, you, you 
create a list, and I've mm-hmm. probably seen maybe a handful of them. You got um, the Lion Wizard King. Wizard of Oz. You got Tangled. Well, th- 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 this is this is the other thing that I will I will mention later. But uh, you know, I've seen Wizard of Oz. I like Wizard of Oz. I don't think that's a movie that I'm oh. like, oh, I gotta, I gotta you know cherish that memory like it's it is what it is um it's it's good uh but you know that film in a lot of ways is so much about kind of the environment and that world and you know Mm -hmm. i mean they've they spun it off into all sorts of different things with wicked and all sorts of other stuff um they've made multiple movies about you know oz uh, so, you know, to me that, yes, it is a musical, but more than anything, that is a introduction into that world that I found more fascinating than the actual, you know, musical part of it. Um, and besides that one, you know, I've seen some of the recent ones I've seen, you know, uh, Hamilton, I've seen, are, are we considering Hamilton a musical? Yes. What do you mean? Right? Wait, oh wait, wait, okay. What I, do you mean like movie musical? Uh I mean obviously the way it was filmed and everything like that 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 leaves Right, cuz uh, Hamilton as it appeared on Broadway is 100% a stage musical, right? Like okay. so if you were asking is Hamilton as it was released on Disney Plus what we would consider a movie musical? That's between you and your god. I don't know. But like in terms of if like if is Hamilton it as an musical, entity yes. is a musical, it is a musical. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, but that one is interesting because of the lyricism around it and everything like that. And um, I was actually pretty moved by by the the one that ended up premiering on Disney Plus. Um, I liked that a lot. Um, but I don't know. Like I'm I'm thinking back and I'm trying to think about some of the you know big touchstones. Like I've. I've never seen uh, Sound of Music. I've never seen Chicago. I've never seen, um, you know, just Singing in the Rain. I've never seen a lot of these other ones. And part of it is because I guess I just didn't have any draw to it. Mm -hmm. And as Brian is kind of alluding to, yeah, I fucking love the Disney musicals. And I love, you know, all these other animated classics that have big bombastic musical numbers and things like that. Like that is my shit. And so it's weird that it doesn't translate over to the live action version. Um, Mm. I'm not sure what to say about that, that I'm just like, nah, I don't really care to see people dancing, but these fucking lions. Oh my God. Like give me more of that. What's interesting, Bill is I, I think that what you're saying kind of aligns with what I said when we talked about Incredibles two and Spider-Man into the spider verse, Mm -hmm. which is like that something about the expressiveness and the unreality of animation is better at getting across like what is awesome about the concept of superheroes and you mm-hmm. may have a similar feeling about the expressiveness of animation regarding people who randomly burst into song. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're well, because and- it's already a, a, you know, quote unquote fake or artificial environment. It may be easier for you to get over the hump of like the artificiality of the expression. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is also those animated films usually have like classical backgrounds and underpinnings and the stories are usually 
you know, they, they understand that like the music is a big part of it, but they also understand like the story is such a huge part of it and the animatics and, you know, the, the, the motion and the action and all of those things like like it's just kind of like a little bit of a symphony right and like i can't look at some some of the not the dance but like the action quote unquote in this film you know some of the fight sequences and things like that and i'm like yawn mm-hmm. like you know, it, it's not going to capture me in the way that, like, I don't know, The Lion King does. And again, part of it is because I want to be in that world. And I guess, you know, that is also part of a musical's, like, you know, selling, uh, like, point is it's got to sell me on more than just the music. Because, I mean, you know, the music's good in this. Sure. But like, if I don't care about the people and I don't care about the story that much, then it's, is kind of lost on me. And so I think that's kind of my issue overall is I, I'm thinking back and I'm like, man, I just don't care about hardly any of these people. And I don't really like the story all that much. And maybe part of it is because I've never seen the original. Um, but also I don't want to watch the original right mm-hmm. before I see this film. Like that, that feels like a, a dumb idea to me personally. Um, because you're right. all I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm, all I'm going to do is just compare them. And yeah. that's, yep. that's not a good way to like go into a, a film that is obviously a remake, but also trying to update and trying to change change things here and there uh from my understanding this also takes a lot of notes from uh the broadway revival and not necessarily a straight adaptation of the original film as well so i have i have been um, led to believe that too yeah i got into like a twitter argument with a friend of mine about this movie and one of my issues with the movie that i told him he's like well that was in the newest adaptation and I was like, that doesn't make it better. Like, it's, that just means that it's a problem that's been around longer that they should have already troubleshot. <laughs> what do you sure. mean? Like, what's Maybe. an example of that? So that was, I said that the movement of I feel pretty from like... The order. Yeah, like it, it from like first or second act to like third act was like jarring and crazy. Because it like, was incredibly... It was like the dramatic irony of her singing that. Right. After, yeah. Which is like yeah. the first in the in the original. Sh- she's singing that right before he comes and sees her for like the second time, like the next day. And first of all, it's taking place in a shop that she works in. Yes. But that is not Gimbel's and that appears to be like a small business in the community where Anita has some amount of like power and like, you know, they're like they're cleaning up. They're locking up like that's their place i don't know like what their ownership stake is but it's clear that like they have a vested interest in the health of this shop and in this Mm. movie now i don't know why they did this but they made actually it feels like they did it because they're trying to make a point about class and racism and the way that they did that was by very racistly making these people maids at a giant department store um and yeah it's it's moved from instead of her singing it to Anita, her friend, you know, and other workers at this this dress shop uh, before Tony comes for like his second meeting um, where they then have like a very cute little conversation about meeting each other's parents. Uh, they move it to after uh, the bad thing <laughs> has already happened. 
Mm. Um, and again, so they 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 add a dramatic irony to it. But also, she knows that he, her love, is going to try to stop a fight between his friend <laughs> and her older brother. And she's, like, not concerned at all, apparently, because she's running around talking about how fucking pretty she is. Which she just makes her seem callous. The, the thing that she asked him to do. What was that? She trusts him to do the thing that. Yeah, yeah, I understand that she trusts him to go and try, but she should still be nervous that he's going to succeed. Like that, it, it, I get hung up on stuff yeah. like that. Like, if you're gonna go for this level of like, I'm not gonna call it realism, but like gritty uh, patina of whatever the hell you're doing with all these people constantly kicking puddles and stuff and looking dirty. Like, you <laughs> is that a metaphor? No, they're con- Did you not realize how many times they kicked puddles in this movie? <laughs> that, that sounds like a really childish insult. Like, go kick, go a, kick a puddle. Well, so it happens during the the, the 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 song that I played to open this. I think is um the Tonight Quintet or whatever. It's like the the medley right, that yeah, they play yeah, when they're going to go for the rumble, and everyone's talking. And it's it's my favorite kind of song in a musical. Uh, I think it reached its apotheosis with um, One Day More in Les Miserables. And mm-hmm. it's when every character you've ever met, including the ones who don't even really matter that much, all get like one verse in this tied together thematic song. Because like One Day More, everyone's like, you know, oh, tomorrow we're going to fight. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to go overseas and I'll never see my love again. And then suddenly the Thanadiers show up and they're like, yeah, tomorrow we're going to rob some bodies. <laughs> it's just like yep we get it those people fucking suck guys yeah madame thenardier is like my dream role yeah i mean i love them but like it is funny that they just show up and they're just like catch them as they fall like just (laughs) when a bunch of people die we get to rob their shit um (laughs) i want to hear the brian karaoke version where you make up the lyrics from memory so uh i'm gonna i'm gonna i i don't know if this is gonna shock people or if it's gonna come off really in character for me Uh, if i get drunk enough in a group of people i will sometimes just like find an excuse to break out into song and it's usually les miserables but sometimes it's a west side story Mm -hmm. and so like a couple months ago i was out at a a wings and beer place Uh, it's like a pub i don't know but anyway I was talking with a friend of mine who I had never really spoken to before, and she and I both discovered that we were theater nerds, and we, like, just started singing just, like, everything we could think of. So, like, you know, Robin, my – I and actually, I used to go to karaoke, Robin, and me and another guy whose name was also Brian realized that we loved Les Miserables and knew all the words. And so we would sing every duet that we could, including – what's the the one where Eponine's dying? <laughs> And Mary is singing to her, and I was Eponine. Um, yeah, a little I, fall of rain. Yeah, yeah I, I was Eponine and a little fall of rain, and it was fantastic. But anyway, yes. Beautiful. So clearly, everything. But so what? I, all that was to say that in in tonight, the Jets kick like six different puddles, like literally, <laughs> like it was as though Yanush went up to Spielberg and was like, you know, it was really looks good on camera with my pools of light. Is if someone <laughs> kicks water. If we get to splash and Spielberg's like, all right, we'll see if we can work it in. And then they did over and over and over again. I can't even remember what I was talking about. (laughs) Do you ever feel in the films that, I'm sorry, not the films, but do you ever feel like in this story, you get to know 
the sh- the jets way more than the sharks yeah in I which in which in in this one or the other one in in both and ju- i think both. in just I, mean, the I, haven't seen the, I haven't seen the original in years but i i, I think I it's definitely true of this one too so in the original it's it's interesting that you asked that because in the original i don't you know i didn't take a a timer to it at all um i think sorry can i say something yeah, no, please a, go ahead. I'll, there I'll, was a yeah. it's just interesting that I noticed like the you know like the officer Krupke song. Yes. So like that's a big part. Like like we get to know them more. I think, but I agree with you, and that was the thing I was thinking of. But it's interesting in that like again when we go back, if it was just two different ethnic groups, it makes more sense. <laughs> but now you have like Kushner being like these white these white supremacists are just misunderstood. It's like oh no, <laughs> I don't want to that. <laughs> so it's but I mean. It's, it's interesting, but it's just it's just a lot to take in in one go. You know? <laughs> so I'm, I, you know, when when I think about West Side Story, mm-hmm. and I think about the characters, like, and this this is just purely from even like seeing it live and then seeing the mm-hmm. um, the original version and the, the original film version. I've always felt that you get to know the personal lives of the sharks a whole lot more than you learn about the personal lives of the jets. Right. Okay. That's, I. I see that too, actually. Because, like, <laughs> if you think of... about the songs that these people are singing, you know, they're more intimate. Yeah, the, uh, like America is is nothing but like non gang related. Uh, you know, I want that kind of of songwriting. You know, it's like they're talking about like getting homes and mm-hmm. you know shopping and like building lives for themselves. Like, it is it is crazy that they have hope for the future. Mm-hmm, like yeah. they believe they are building a life for themselves and the jets are like pure nihilism. And they <laughs> even say like, look, this is a crummy nine block radius we've got, but it's our turf. Like we've held it against everyone because it's literally all we've got. And we're never going to amount to anything. And our parents are drunks and prostitutes and we're probably going to die. But the one thing we will have is our name scrawled on this wall and they cannot take that from us. And so, like, you know, I always felt like the, the sharks got the, the better end of that bargain. <laughs> like, they get the characters. They get the the reality. They get the hope. And the yeah. Jets are kind of, like, just doomed, like, forever. They is kind of small. I, I think you get Bernardo and his, the females in his Bernardo life. And, and a little bit of Chino. And Anita. And yeah. in the Jets, you get Tony. And Tony's not even technically a Jet anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, no, but you get, but what I'm saying is like, I feel like I can individualize the jets yeah. more than the sharks. Right. Yeah, but even though I think you're right that there, we have a more intimate view into the sharks, mm-hmm. like, but, but not, know, not the guys, the, the women mostly. Yes. Oh, yeah, it, it's interesting. We got a more intimate view of the sharks while getting a more kind of thorough examination of like the jets, which is interesting. Yeah, I think you get to understand like the 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 mob dynamics of the jets better. Yeah, yeah. Um, true. like it's it's very clear that like actions the hothead and ice is the uh, the second in command. And in fact, one of my issues with this movie is that it's very difficult to track. The jets are a lot more difficult to track in this movie because I feel like they're all just dirty five ten to six one brunettes you know like <laughs> you're not gonna mix up riff and ice and action in you um, know all their names yeah i do because i just watched this on friday um mm-hmm. 
and you're not going to mix them up because like riff is like this curly haired you know wide-eyed you know smiling singing dancing guy ice is this tall icy blonde and action is this compact steel-eyed you know guy with black hair like just their basic looks are so much different and in this movie you've got a whole bunch of people that just look the same. Like the only reason that that Riff stands out is because he looks like he's coming off of a meth bender where he got in a fight with a parking meter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's I yeah, it's interesting question, Robin, and I, I feel like you know, it's it's kind of both. Like you get a little more time probably to differentiate the jets, but all you differentiate is who's the guy who's going to snap first and with the the sharks you get a better idea yeah, of like yeah. what it is they want in life yeah <laughs> mm. that's true yeah. i think it's a good point yeah. so i'm curious neil mm-hmm. uh what what has drawn you to sh- uh to spielberg and you know what interested you about this movie in terms of his direction not this is not an interview but i am just curious oh, no. <laughs> you mean just 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 about spielberg in general yeah just you know um i mean I'm like, always oh, yeah. sorry no, no, no. I, I was just going to clarify what I said by saying it again. So it really. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, Spielberg is like the first director, like a whole, probably most people in our generation even see. Period, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I've always, I have generally always liked him going. It wasn't until about a couple of years ago, I think I would kind of realize how much I really liked his work. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it was, uh, it's interesting. Cause I saw it. There was, I remember when I was uh, at the TIFF light box, they had a, they had a Spielberg retrospective. I think it was at the end of 2018. And I saw, I remember seeing, I remember I saw a bunch of them in the moment. And I was like kind of blown away how much I liked each one pretty much. But the, there's one, especially seeing E.T. again. I think mm. in the packed theater, it was like, you know, pretty much every demographic was there. <laughs> you know, like, That's a four quadrant film if I've ever heard of one. Yeah. But like, uh, it was just interesting. You know, like seeing everyone, like kids, adults, teenagers, brown people black people asians white people everyone's just kind of laughing crying at the same moments it's really it was really something to see it was just like what this is like really what this is all about you know yeah so i kind of came back around really hard to feel but then by this point i was i mean the fact that he even said like this is something he'd wanted to make since he was a kid uh in the vanity fair uh um what's it called vanity fair interview like 2020 so i was pretty excited to see this one but it's interesting it says a lot i think it's interesting i was thinking earlier too, i was talking to a friend about this it's like watching this one you really feel like as much as that there's a lot i do like about this movie obviously you have that the previous generation like the hitchcock ford hawks all kind of getting a bit dated people are kind of stop stop going to see their movies and stuff when Spielberg first came into the industry so it's really interesting to see it feels like almost spielberg's getting to that point now mm. so so it's, it's 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 an interesting moment i think yeah, and this yeah. movie, um, I mean, they're kind of framing it as a flop. I don't know if I would say yet mm-hmm. that the film is a flop, but yeah, yeah, so I'll have it's in a disappointment there. for sure. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's far. interesting. We'll see what happens. It's hard. It's maybe a little too early to tell, but it, yeah. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not saying it's a flop, but I think mm-hmm. it definitely it it uh, did not it didn't really meet the anticipated yeah. numbers that they yeah. like they were hoping it would be like a 13 to 15 million dollar weekend I was about to say and their anticipated numbers were not blockbuster numbers to begin with no not at all but it, it made 10 so you're kind of like okay like that's still <laughs> close enough but yeah, yeah. 
you know, two years ago, we would be talking like 70 million. Or, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, and I, I wonder how much of that, uh, we know we talk about like, um, one of the things I've seen batted around was like the greatest showman, like, you know, that made like $10 million to opening weekend, but then it like played like gangbusters and it made like 150 or whatever. And they're making a Broadway show or something. Yeah. I think that one really convinced people that like musicals were bankable again, but I don't, I don't know. Yet, to be so the, the issue is, and you know, I didn't see the greatest showman in theater, so I don't know, but like if, you know, people, I would assume if you there's a movie like that, you'd got people like swinging in the aisles, you know, like dancing and clapping and walking out, humming the songs. And um, my re- audience reaction to this movie was super, super tepid. Like, oh. like no How many one's... people were in the room with you. Uh, 20. Well, that's a lot. It was, you know, it was like 430 on a Saturday. And I would oh, say yeah. there was like 20, 20 people in a in a theater, um, which you say my, is a lot. My, my I don't think that's a lot. Like my first thing was actually quite reactive to it. Actually, it was about 30 people. It was like 745 p.m. on the Friday it came out. But it was it was interesting to see because I saw a lot of people crying. Actually, I, mm-hmm. I cried a bit at the end, near the end of the last, last chunk of the film. But uh, it was interesting to see that sound graphics, mostly people around like their mid 30s like a very kind of core older millennial kind of group mm-hmm. but at the same time like not it was not a packed theater by, by any means either so it was interesting to see who, who's exactly going to movies right now <laughs> okay, I, like, I um and you know i don't again i don't i don't know if this is just people being shitty or this is their reaction mm-hmm. to the movie but a lot of phones came out at varying points of the movie Mm. so like i don't know if that's like boredom or these people are just like oh, i've been in pandemic quarantine for two years and now i feel very very sad if i don't look at my phone um mm. yeah that could be there were i, I heard a yeah. bunch of different people <laughs> ask the person sitting to them what people said uh because they didn't they don't speak spanish i guess um mm-hmm. you know there was there was an older couple behind me there was a younger uh couple in front of me and there were just a couple times they're like like did you like you know i guess one of them maybe took spanish in high school <laughs> and the other one was hoping for an answer um so yeah so that was a thing so i just don't know i don't know if this is gonna be one of those things where people come out and are like no it's really good you should see it mm-hmm. they somehow yeah. got a sentient bag of socks to sing <laughs> well we'll see how awards play out I yeah think. yeah you know, it's kind of funny how it's such a chicken and the egg because on the one hand the oscars love to honor films that have made a lot of money you yeah. know, it's a way of saying like, this is what the people want <laughs> and what the people are liking. On the other hand, the Oscar movies that win a lot of Oscars or are nominated for a lot of Oscars, it does give them a, a box office bump. Yeah, you get that so Oscar bump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You no, know, it it feeds into it. Like I I have a feeling that Dune and House of Gucci will probably make their way to award season uh, pretty smoothly because they're you know. It's weird to call them hits because they're, <laughs> they're yeah, not yeah, making yeah, yeah. the the <laughs> level of money, yeah. but they're making consistent money. Well, it's yeah, it is a, a it's not only just the money. I think it's also like they are still in the conversation. You know, like if mm-hmm. if someone mm-hmm. goes out and sees House of Gucci, they're going to talk to House. They're going to talk about House of Gucci, and that's going to make people who vote be like, "Oh, right, House of Gucci. I remember that movie." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's kind of interesting how that particular movie has stayed in the conversation because it's one of the very few films that my non-critic friends seem to be talking about and That's posting crazy. about. Yeah, I, I'm, well, I'm, also, 
I just have no friends it. who like movies. Um, <laughs> so I don't know what people talk about in terms of film anymore. Right, right, I see. It's, it's um, interesting. They I, don't. I, I they talk movie. about television, Brian. Oh, 100%. Yeah, true, I mean, yeah. that's the bigger one. Yeah. Like when I go to the hairdresser and they're talking about, you know, young Sheldon or Ugh. mayor of East town or oh, whatever, yeah. like that, that's kind of a, that's my window into, you know, what people are, what people are watching. Only murders in the building. That's a popular one. To as be well. fair, mayor of East town's incredible. So I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. But I, I had no idea it was a bit, it was a hit among people outside of my circles until I was at the hairdresser. Well, so that's a good point. Like when I talk to my family, like I would say that my brother-in-law is a pretty good engaged consumer of like motion picture art, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. A um, barometer. Right. So like he, he's not my mother who's like, Oh, they had a, an ad for that on the radio. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. I know people and I look into things and like, yeah, I, I would say mostly he and I talk about television now. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a solid point because he would be the person who's like out and about looking for the movies if there was going to be one. All my other friends are just like, "What's out now? Is that any good? What Marvel film is out?" Right. They weren't, and they There's, were like that before the pandemic. Yeah, but they were, I think it, I think yeah. it narrowed more. I think like it it became. And part of that's because nothing's fucking coming out. Like, you know, yeah. there's just a lot less that's happening. But like, you know, back before the pandemic, people would say like, oh, right. I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they, there would be a glimmer of recollection if I said something like Coda, you know, and now it's yeah. just like it's harder to penetrate through the noise because the places you're seeing the ads are usually your phone and the people serving you the ads are usually owned by or in deep, like, you know, <laughs> deep in bed mm-hmm. with i don't think that's a phrase the people who own like the, the companies well it's, it's all that vertical cons- integration yeah the consolidation of media which was talked about uh last night on succession mm-hmm. which is uh on hbo which is uh <laughs> part of warren brothers which is you know make dune so there you go there's, there's your owned by at&t separate. yeah yep exactly but Boom. but i think you're bringing up an interesting point too well I mean, we can't deny that there's kind of a few issues going on here. Number one, mm-hmm. people just, it's easy. People want to binge. They want to just sit in front of their TVs and suck it all in. They don't yeah. want to have to go out. Um, and I think moving more films to streaming, it does make life more accessible. I mean, mm-hmm. it does make the film world more accessible for people. And That's true, yeah. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I mean, I'm, I don't yeah, no, I want the you. death of theaters, but I, I'm mm-hmm. certainly, I certainly appreciate when there are certain movies where I really feel like I don't need to schlep to the theater and I can yeah. just see it at home. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you have all this fracturing. Um, so when I say to people, Oh, you'll love this movie, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I don't have Apple TV plus. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, right. I felt like really I, it was funny because a couple weeks ago I was like, I just watched Coda again and it's amazing. And people were like, What's Coda? And I'm like, It's a movie. They're like, Is it streaming? Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're like, Where? And I was like, Apple TV Plus. And they're like, What? <laughs> I was like, Did you watch fucking Ted Lasso? They're like, Yeah. And then I quit Apple TV Plus because right. Ted Lasso's not going to be back for a year. And I was like, Wow, Apple must be furious. Right. Um, but, you know, think about like what that movie might have been a real sleeper hit. A la, like my big fat Peanut Greek wedding. Falcon. Oh, okay. Was that a sleeper hit? Wasn't it? I don't know. I yeah, think the Peanut Butter Falcon hit. was like massive. 
what? I'm looking it up. You can Which continue. <laughs> Massive. It grossed over $23 million, the highest grossing independent film of the year. You're kidding me. I swear to God, I'm reading it on the Wikipedia, wow. which I understand so is not the perfect. Yeah, but, but that's we trust from a variety it. article. Huh. 23 on a what budget? Uh, oh, God. Why are you asking me questions? Probably like one, maybe two. I was about to say, like, not a lot, probably. I'm looking for the budget now. Give me one second. That's a decent ROI, even if it, even if it was. Uh, the budget was apparently 6.2. It feels high, but I mean, like, yeah, it's still a decent ROI because I guarantee they didn't spend a lot on marketing. This is fascinating to me. Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about? (laughs) Well, we were just talking about, I think, a lot of issues that West Side Story represents, which is what is drawing people into theaters. Mm -hmm. Well, also, like, here's the thing. I I would say another issue with it drawing people into theaters is it's like, hey, man, you want to watch West Side Story? And people are like, fuck yeah. (laughs) love that movie and you're like no the new one and they're like oh is it streaming anywhere like no you gotta go to the movie theaters it's like so i gotta go to the movie theaters during a a still happening pandemic uh or i could stay at home and for three dollars rent the original which i already know that i love yeah, and it's like, yeah, doesn't that? That's a, like, you know. Oh, also, it's starring a, a an alleged, you know, sexual assault person. It's like, oh, only that's... you care. I only you. Yeah. Wow, Robin. <laughs> what I mean to say is, only Do you, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's better. Did you call him a sexual rapist? <laughs> no, I said an accused sexual assaulter. Oh. Yeah, I think the thing was Ansel that he's not big enough of a star yet, so that he's not as well known as. Right. Mike. I, yeah. I would caution the word yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't think that he like he he was in the Fault in Our Stars, uh, which I never saw, but I read the book and I didn't like it. Um, he was in Baby Surprise. Driver, which I saw and I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing inherently wrong about him, though. Someone on our Slack the other day said that line that Kevin Spacey said in that movie, and it made me so angry. What was it? He's got a hum in the drum, and the he drowns it out with music. And I just remember, like, he wrote that down in that Slack, and I suddenly heard that line, and I just, like, my I saw red. It was terrible. But yeah, I don't understand why he's the guy. Because, like, he's the biggest name outside of, like, Corey Stahl in this movie. And, um... You don't you don't understand why he's the guy? But, like, he, Bill, he, he has... It's not like he's... Pr- it's not like he's proven to bring the people, you know? Like, did he, yeah. like, drive Baby Driver to over, like, 200 million? Baby like, Driver, was, Baby Driver was, a, was a good hit. Was it? Oh, yeah. It, it made a lot of money. Yeah. But was it because of him? Well, I mean, no. But I mean, it was it because of anybody? You, you know, try and pin that down. Like, good luck. I guess so, it's just funny because, you know, like, he was in it. Because, like, two of the Jets would have made better Tonys. Or actually, let's say three of the Jets, including the one who played Riff, would have made better Tonys than than Ansel Elgort did. Anybody's like, could have played Tony too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> The guy who played, uh, what was his name? Ben Platt, who would have made a better oh, no. 
the but guy. then you would have mixed him up with anybody's. You know, um, I'm complaining, but I actually didn't hate Evan Hansen. <laughs> I thought it was kind of like compelling. We almost <laughs> what, talked what each I've, other into making an episode on Evan Hansen, if I remember correctly. What, what I've, I what I've heard over and over is that the original, the two leads are not necessarily the most interesting actors mm-hmm. or performances either. Well, so, so I would, yeah. I would so say Natalie they, they, Wood. I would say that I, I don't know all, whoever the two, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Maria and and Tony. Tony. Yeah, yeah. Not very good, in my opinion. So it's like it's like they're just they're not very well written characters. Well, I, it's again Correct. they're the, they're, they're the, sort of boring. They're the yeah. two that don't want to hurt anyone, so that makes them infinitely less compelling than every other character. <laughs> infinitely infantile. So Richard Bamer apparently is the name of the man who played mm-hmm. Tony. Um, I again See, that ha- says something right there. Yeah, that, seriously, that you, know, you had to look up some, that name. Yeah, well, he's stuff later on. What was that? He's in some interesting stuff later on. I mean, he's in Twin Peaks. Yeah, late, like well, years later, he plays Ben else. Horn. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, it's just Horn. also Richard Bamer is never is not a name that I'm ever 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 going to remember, no matter how much I love him, because <laughs> it's just you, not a memorable you remember name. You remember Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort's a nightmare name that I've had to repeat to myself. <laughs> um, but like, Ansel you know, Elgort, Alden Ehrenreich, like, whatever. I liked Alden oh, Ehrenreich. Yeah. Alden. yeah. Like They're him. the same. Alden Ehrenreich would have wow. been a good Tony. Yeah, that's true. He would have been good, actually. Um, I but like, if you can sing. Tony in, I think in, Ansel Elgort could sing. I was surprised. I do think no, he that's, could sing too. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah. Also, I just he was. Uh, he's like a weird, like West Side Rocky. He just like has this like, <laughs> and he's so lackadaisical. Like you were talking about them meeting at the dance, and it's just like what a fucking nightmare scene because she's there and she is a five foot two incandescent. Friggin she's not that tall. Charisma magnet. You think she's not that tall? No. <laughs> I thought you were going to get on me for over shortening her. <laughs> no, she is not. I, I I dare to say she is probably five foot with shoes on. All right. Someone look this up. Oh, no. No. Oh, my God. According to IMDb, which may be lying, she is five foot two. Okay. As a man who has exclusively with, dated short girls, with, my with, short girl Dar with is shoes on, point. on. <laughs> With shoes on. And a beehive. Um, but like she yeah. is there giving it her all, and the camera is like just drinking it in, and then he's there in a just suit that's three sizes yeah. too big for him, with his hands in his pockets, mumbling with a stupid look on his face i, I mean just, that, that is that is the cut of the dress at the time though like i guess but like the know. original tony like you know for whatever you want to say they, though, and they again, didn't have they didn't have materials that stretch brian <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't come for another 12 years yes. but I, I will say that the original tony richard bamer yes tony is a boring character because again he's trying to get out and he's he's weirdly like constantly just super optimistic, which obviously I'm going to hate any character that's constantly optimistic. Um, but he's got like this this incredibly magnetic smile. Like when he is happy, you are also happy because it's like that kind of infectious mm-hmm. smile thing. And Ansel Elgort's got like the the lipless, toothless like side curl, and it's just not the same thing. Um, and I think that another problem I have with this movie that comes down to the arrangements of the songs is 
the and and the adaptation by Kushner is that like they really fucking distance Tony from all of the conflict that's happening mm-hmm. in a way that makes it seem like he's in a completely different movie the whole time. And I think that like there might be a part of them that knew that they'd made the Jets super racist. Like, and that they couldn't have <laughs> yeah, Tony yeah. be a part of them because then they could never morally square with themselves making him a romantic lead. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, and, and it's, yeah, it's interesting. No, no, please go ahead. I was just interesting in ter- into like, because they, by just, they didn't, by just, sorry, uh, Tony from them, they can go more into that racial, that rate, that kind of racist angle. Yeah. But at the same time, if they, like, it would have been better if they altered the script to like, so, so the film still made like any sense at all. Yeah, I um, mean, so in the original, it, <laughs> Riff comes over and is like, "Hey, Tony, come and help me out with this." This mm-hmm. like, you know, we're gonna talk to them at the dance. We're gonna have a little war council. It's gonna mm-hmm. be great. And Tony's like, "I like, you know, no, like, I, you know, I've got this job. Things like, basically, Tony's like, I am growing up, and I need more than what the Jets is willing to offer me. Which again is that like shitty territory with their name on it. And in this movie. In the original riffs, like, yeah, but come on, like, I'm cool. I'm fun. You're working like you should just come to the dance. Like maybe the and Tony has this whole thing about how for like the last two weeks, every night I wake up and I'm reaching out and riffs like for what? And he's like, I don't know. But like, there's this sense of optimism again, this optimism that he is trying to tap into and riff can't offer optimism or a plan, but he can say like, come to the dance we're gonna do some cool gang shit and like maybe what you're looking for is gonna be twitching it at the dance and so technically because of riff tony meets the woman that he loves and is gonna die for and in this new movie riff's just like you're a pussy fuck you and then leaves (laughs) and then instead of tony singing uh you know something's coming because his conversation with riff has like pushed him towards a feeling of optimism and hope and that like you know he needs to express how he's feeling he talks to friggin magical latina and suddenly starts singing it to her which at that point i was like i can't fucking handle this movie like this is a a bad choice because in the original tony is trying to explicate to himself this feeling of of growing something that's happening in his soul and in this movie, he can't get a friggin' word out unless he's talking to to Doc's wife, Valentina. What was her name? It was Valentina, right? Valentina, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, so she becomes the only way for this this fucking white dude to be able to <laughs> tap into something beyond the inherent racism of his skin color. <laughs> Which again is super fucking racist. You can't just yeah. say like he's the good one because he's being taken care of. By a magical abuelita. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And that's. It's a very, it, yeah. I would say like that's like a microcosm for my feelings about this movie. Like they 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 add so much more talking about the problems that these people have, but in a way that like a 2020 sociologist would talk about it, and not in the way that a 1950s 1960s teenager who was born to parents who probably didn't want them would. Yeah, yeah. And that, Give an example. Well, like this, that whole thing, like, you know, it, or also like when Shre- like the lieutenant walks in and in the original movie, he comes in and he's like, 
listen, you know, the Puerto Ricans are here to stay. I don't want you fucking up my streets. I don't want people getting hurt. Like, I don't really care about any of you. Just knock it the fuck off. Like, you're not doing anything. Just stop it. I'm tired of coming down here. And in this movie, he comes in and he's like, okay, let's have a small conversation about the socioeconomic conditions that have created you. You know, the Irish Italians and everyone came in and like started to go moving up, but your parents sucked. So you stayed here. And because of, you know, the fact that your parents didn't make enough money and you're staying here. And so you're coming with this clashing immigrant population that's causing all this problems. But like, and it's like, who is this guy? Who is this Noam Chomsky-esque New York police detective who just walked in to give these guys a slightly white nationalist pep talk? Oh, my goodness. I didn't read it that way. I just... He calls them, like, the lost cause Caucasians of the West Side or something? Like, no one fucking would... Like, is you kidding me with this No one talks that way, but... (laughs) Yes! But I appreciated what he was sharing about Mm. class. Yeah, and I thought like, it was good exposition. I think it was good exposition too, actually, to be honest. It just maybe doesn't work as well narratively, but it has like a, it, it sets up a lot of the more, like, I think in the back half, especially, like you have a scene not long later where Tony talks about how these things become habit. And that plays into like later on, we see Tony stab Bernardo, et cetera. So I think it comes back around, maybe not in the most, maybe in a somewhat clumsy way, but I, 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 I appreciate that it's there. See, in the original weird. movie, there's a point where the, the the police detective comes back i think is a lieutenant i don't know whatever mm-hmm. so he comes back and he he it's and this is another weird diff i mean there's just so many differences between the movies and usually i don't like to get hung up on these things but like it really does feel to me like every change that they made on a script level undermined this movie and and the way the characters interact with the narrative because in the original movie again riff is like tony come to the dance i'm going to invite bernardo war council we'll do it after the dance clearly because we can't do it at the dance because the dance is neutral territory okay cool great go to the dance blah 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 hey let's talk about this at docs after the dance and tony's already fallen in love with maria and he goes and he looks for her and he sings maria and she comes out and she's like what up and then he's like oh there's a war council going on which i am aware of because i'm an active participant in the narrative as it is happening i'm gonna go and try to see if i can stop it and then he goes and he's the one who's like you know, oh, you want to have like like guns and knives and stuff? Why don't you just why don't you just do trial by combat? Your strongest guy versus our strongest guy, fisticuffs. And Bernardo's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great idea because he's thinking he's gonna get to kick the shit out of Tony, but instead they choose Ice because of course they're gonna choose Ice because his fucking name is Ice, so you know he can rumble. And then <laughs> Tony gets to say like to Maria, hey, guess what I did? <laughs> I got him to downgrade from a knife fight between everybody to a fist fight between two guys i think this is a win and she's like sounds like a win to me we should be totally in love and then he decides like you know what i you know what, you know what i really need to do is i need to go and i need to stop this all together and riff has not spoken to the sketchiest men in all the west side and melodramatically pressed his head against a loaded gun to make a point and so he goes and he tries to stop them he doesn't but the thing is that he is a constant active presence in this story and instead in this story he's like oh well you know i love you Uh, maybe we should go to the cloisters i think that's where they went right they went to the cloisters yeah and then maria is there giving him 
like a, a blue check Twitter explanation of why just because Riff was born to a drunk and a prostitute that he doesn't get to feel bad about himself. Right, right. Like, it's just so Are weird. you... S- it works better in, like, in, like, especially from that opening exposition, it works best when it comes out of action and not when it tries to become, you know, make... Uh, right. And that's actually now I remember why I even brought up all that stuff is because yeah. the, the police detective comes back during the war council and he tells the Puerto Ricans to get the fuck out. And then he basically mm-hmm. says to the, the, the Jets, like, what are you... Like, you guys are no better, all right? You're, he calls them like the the like spawn of immigrants, which they fucking are not happy to hear. And then he says, like, you know, hey, action, like, you know, how are things on your mom's side of the street? Because she's a prostitute. And then he asks another guy how his dad's DTs are because he's an alcoholic. Like, what does the cop DTs hates mean? Delirium tremens. It's what happens if you're a hardcore alcoholic and you don't have any alcohol in your system. You start to shake. Mm. Anyway, which, um, which it's like withdrawal. Like? It's withdrawal from alcohol. And so mm-hmm. it but like, you know, like these are and, and that's kind of the same concept of that speech that he gives in this movie, except instead of it being, you know, welcome to my TED talk. It's you guys are garbage, just like they're garbage. But you're a different kind of garbage because at least they have hope of being something better. And you fucking pieces of shit are going to die here because you aren't bred for anything more, which also is like Riff, when Riff sings Officer Krupke, he's basically using it as a rallying point to keep his guys steady and unified before the war council. Mm-hmm. And it's him. It's him being a leader. That is showing what Riff brings to the table that makes him the leader of the Jets. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it's uh, 20 men can't hold down anybody's, and so now we're going to leave a bunch of guys alone <laughs> in, a, in a place so they can cosplay you know taking turns and it's just i don't know like i just fucking hated yeah. this movie <laughs> <laughs> no i think you loved it <laughs> that's what you said about power of the dog gaslight gaslight <laughs> i uh i saw a thing on instagram the other day that said not everything is gaslighting and then i i responded to the person and said are you trying to gaslight me <laughs> Anyway, there is very a line still. in this very terrible movie called Being the Ricardos, where Lucille Ball, as played by Nicole Kidman, literally says to Desi Arnaz, are you gaslighting me? And I just wanted to rip Aaron Sorkin's head off. Oh, my God. That's because mm-hmm. Aaron Sorkin heard that like yesterday and was like, "Ooh, I know. But also, nobody was saying that in like 1953 or whatever. Right. What she would say if she was going to make that reference is, are you trying to do me like the woman in Gaslight got done or something like that? (laughs) Except that would still not be her reference. She wasn't a fucking freak like the rest of film Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Like Uh, the rest of us freaks. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, Gaslighting has now become like one of those fast, you know, what do they call it? Like fast therapy. Like, I, I just I'm, think of it as a shorthand, like yeah, a verbal shorthand. Right. It's when it's when you you work to make someone doubt their own perceptions as a means of controlling them, mm-hmm. which is not the same as a being lied to, b dis being disagreed with. Ugh, yeah. Anyway, so um, thus I'm I'm not gaslighting you. I'm just telling you the truth that you're not willing to accept. That I like love movie. these movies. Yeah, no, that's got to be it. You know how much easier my life would be if I did love these movies? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You need some SSRIs, man. 
Get on it. Anyway, um, so yeah, this movie. What else? What else? What else do we want to talk about? <laughs> Bill, like, we I haven't heard from you uh, in a while. I mean, what, what are you thinking? Sorry, me or who? Or... I was gonna. Oh, Bill. Bill. Bill sorry. My bad. Sorry, Bill. Yeah. So you can go. If I was just actually. I was just gonna say it's being interesting. I've noticed like Spielberg's last. This is like he's doing the Fablemans next year, right? So mm-hmm. the one about. So it's like he's done three movies about like young people, like Ready Player One. This not Fablemans when he's a kid in a row. It's like I'm kind of ready for him to make a movie about like adults again. To be honest, <laughs> it's been a while. Wait, a film to. A film like what? A film like because the last three have been about like people in their late teens, early twenties. Mm-hmm. So I'm like kind of okay. I'm like good. I'm ready to see some adults in the Spielberg movie again. To be honest. Yeah, give me like a give me like a slightly okay forty five year old Spielberg. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that we're seeing. I don't know. Maybe there's a piece in this, but between mm-hmm. Belfast and Licorice Pizza and West Side Story, I definitely see directors kind of going inward and and into their pasts mm-hmm. to some degree yeah. this year i don't know what yeah, there is I to be said about, about that, that. I, I definitely noticed that with licorice pizza too it's, it's, i think it speaks to like both kind of getting to a point where you're trying to find a more general way of relating to the public when you make well, uh, hold on hold on maybe? i don't know when was the last time pta made a a current film hmm. Like, I mean, Magnolia? there will be blood. <laughs> there will be blood. The master, like, uh, inherent vice. Uh, what? Phantom Thread. Like all these fucking movies are period films. Yeah, like, but Licorice we, Pizza specifically about? is about his life, or uh, not his life, but about his his nostalgia for a period and a place that he grew up in. It's mm-hmm. not his story because it's not based on. It's not based on his childhood, but it's well, it's very I, much connected to his biography. I wouldn't know that without watching the movie. Mm, okay. <laughs> Have you seen it? No. Okay. How would I see it? Is it out? I got a screening link. Yeah, I did. You got a screening link? Mm-hmm. Wow. It lasted eight hours. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> that comes out... When does it come out? Christmas, I think. I'm annoyed because uh, this really great movie theater near me keeps talking about their 70 millimeter screenings of it. And they're like all times that I can't go. Uh, yeah, that's, I had the same issue with my local place. I would have loved to see it in theaters, but we'll eventually talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to get into it now. But I do think it's I, I'm very interested in these directors. Not just looking past, like not looking into the past, but looking into their own past. Yeah, because yeah. even Spielberg like dedicated the movie to his father who I think loved this movie. Like it's obviously yeah. a big part of his growing up. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like and we mentioned before, like he, he said this was the first, I always thought this was interesting too. Like, cause when I remember Spielberg saying uh, in the, the interview did a year ago, he was like, this was the first bit of popular art ever let into the home. So you can see mm-hmm. how formative this particular work was to him, which is interesting. Um, because Spielberg is the, like one of the ultimate popular artists. Yeah. So you know, so it's so it's interesting to think about. It's just it, even if it's not, you know, his 
autobiography. It's deeply personal for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. does does Spielberg make movies that aren't in some way like deeply personal? Like he's he's not. Oh, yeah, no, he, he, yeah he the yeah. terminal. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't know, you don't know what That's he's true, feeling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, I he, forgot he, that he got stranded in an airport for three years. I I bet if he, I really wanted to, I could say like, don't you understand that like his whole life is a terminal? You know, like he's constantly stuck between projects. Aren't we and, all terminal? Don't you understand that he's sick? He's sick. <laughs> no, it's true though. He usually is. There's a personal element in pretty much nearly every one of his movies. Maybe not. Maybe not quite the terminal, but like <laughs> most of them. Jurassic Park. His I think love so. of yeah, dinosaurs. I mean, the, the first time. I mean, I was realizing recently because you hadn't seen uh, um, what's it called uh, dinosaurs, but like realistically animated dinosaurs, like before at all. I would, I would, I would guess that anyone who gets to make a movie about dinosaurs, um, that is probably a movie that is very near and dear to them from their childhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's like you're like, holy shit! I really just did the first dinosaurs in a movie. Holy fucking goat! (laughs) You know, I mean, that was fun. That's that's actually the Spielberg that was because I watched. I actually watched every Spielberg this year, like in order of release. Wow! Holy shit! That was actually the one that was most uh, the most benefited actually from watching them all. In order you just really see the technical like leap in it hmm. and also just like the um it became easier for me to appreciate because i i haven't really liked it that much since i was a kid because like, oh, this is just a bunch of dinosaurs and now i'm like oh i get what it kind of meant <laughs> this like thing you wanted well it, it's funny that, you know you mentioned that film because that was you know a huge gamble on his behalf yeah. i mean it's hard to imagine it now but like yeah. cgi just wasn't a thing back yeah, then yeah exactly and and even yeah. in that film it's only well and you know there are sequences that more than likely you know are, uh, pretty much every t-rex scene is an animatronic and they mm-hmm. had you yeah. know legendary issues with him as well but or her i can't yeah it's a female um and but anyways the thing about that film is, you know, the digital animation came about as like, wow, we just really can't fucking do this in animatronic version and we can't do it in like these like stop motion. So we got to find some kind of other thing. And they only came up with digital animation later. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, had that, issue not worked i think maybe the film still works but it definitely i I think it doesn't have the impact that it does because Mm -hmm. really seeing those creatures in motion is the miraculous part of that film yeah 100 no i agree yeah it's really that that one's got a really interesting element of like both like like it plays really uh with the sense of terror and fascination at the same time because they're they're moving realistically and so it's really it actually really smartly plays with the fact that they're animated dinosaurs. It's, really- it's it, it plays into the film itself, right? Mm-hmm. The characters yeah. are fascinated by what they're seeing because yes, they're seeing these exactly. living, breathing versions yes. of these things. Mm-hmm. But these living, breathing versions of these things want to fucking eat them. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's That's like so it's like oh, watch. this is amazing. <laughs> yes. Wait, you want to eat me? This is not so amazing. Right. It's it's wonder <laughs> turning into horror. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What was Very I going to say? Speaking of, uh, just uh, I don't know. I just want to find a way to start shit talking Yanish Kaminsky. How do I do that? Okay. <laughs> How do I do that in this uh, crowd? I met Yanish Kaminsky. We can avoid that. Actually. Oh, is nice. he a good guy? 
Yeah, he he uh, he he asked me for a cigarette because I was smoking. <laughs> oh man! Well, now I feel bad. Now I don't want to, you know, talk about what uh, God. Yeah, that's, that's like Brian's like one hundred and one, like like how to form bonds and relationships with people is yeah, when they bum a cigarette from you. That's one he, I have made. Really I've made so many friends, and I've I've actually gotten a lot of great career advice because I uh, happen to be smoking. Actually, what, right what he was me. doing? So he was like uh, he was he was talking to some because he he did a a lecture at the film school I went to in Vancouver. Um, and uh, he was standing outside the door just talking to some some guy. And first thing he asked is, as I come, he's like, hey, do you have a cigarette by any way? I wasn't even smoking, but I, I do smoke. But I was like, oh, I literally just had my last one. So, But then he's like, he's like, wait a second, $5 entry fee. And I was like, what, really? And he's like, I'm just joking. Go, go inside. I'm like, oh, shit. He's a chill and he's a funny guy. <laughs> anyway, Janusz Kaminski has been a pernicious influence on Spielberg ever since they started oh, yeah. working together and yeah, has slowly cool. poisoned Spielberg's uh, visual style and I can no longer bear to watch any of his movies. <laughs> is it like too slick movie. for you? Too candy colored? It's I don't even know what it is, man. Like that's the weirdest part is that like I used to joke about like ah pools of light, but like this movie there was something even more about it. Like pools the people, of water? the there were so many the puddles to kick. It's like the the lens flares. Uh, there was a point during the end of this movie where I was like, "Did Spielberg decide to just take J.J. Abrams's thing from him? Like the yeah, one thing J.J. brought to the table in in cribbing Spielberg style whole cloth." Was like, I'm going to add some lens flare. And now Spielberg's like, you know what, JJ? Now your lens flare is mine. Now what are you going to do about it? I mean, there's going to be a lot, of them, just, a lot more. But like, I, but like, I just also like just, just his, his lighting is, I don't, I don't like it. It just doesn't feel right. It feels it, like all, all, all film is an artifice and everything is done because it looks good. But like, it's getting like Thomas Kincaid level. Like, I just, That's I'm not a fan. Like America like the just that one in particular but like honestly a lot of these if they're doing anything with full light the people look like plasticky like they just there's there's something uh, about the the lighting and the reflections that it just doesn't feel right like i was shocked to learn that a lot of this movie was shot on locations mm -hmm. because the lighting is just so weird and it's alienating to me like the there's a silvery, like undertone sheen to everything that I don't understand and I don't like. And obviously, this is just me. Some people may look at it and say, like, oh, it's a beautiful incandescent evocation of Technicolor. But for me, it's just a goddamn nightmare. No, I know, I, I know what you mean. For me, I like I do like I like Kaminsky's look, but personally, but I can see there's something kind of especially in like certain sequences like the American sequence is a little almost kitschy but like, it reminds me of uh not Kincaid but uh you know Thomas or uh, Norman Rockwell the painter yeah. yeah it's very much like that actually which I, well, I find it yeah I I definitely see that it's the sheen it's mm -hmm. the I don't know what it is like the sparkle yeah it's a very like very mid-century mid-20th century, mid century America kind of look which I mean I guess fits for this movie really saturated colors too mm -hmm. yeah so it's interesting. I mean, I, I I like it more than you do, I think, but uh, uh, Brian. But yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's definitely it's something because it's interesting too. That earlier, like pre pre Kaminsky Spielberg, he's very actively not trying to have a distinctive style in a way. It's only like afterwards, and then he kind of pushes it more and more until we kind of get to where we are now. 
But I'm curious how Fableman's the next one will look actually, because he's he's drawing direct. I think he's drawing directly from his life. I guess I don't know how how stylized it'll be. I don't know. By this point, Yamush has uh, poured so much poison in his ear. He probably thinks that's how <laughs> reality actually looks. <laughs> I, re- I I it's kind of crazy. I don't think I've ever like turned on a cinematographer this hard, <laughs> and yet here I am. Um, Anybody could go on your shit list. Yeah, at any time. I got a hair trigger. I got a lot of uh, venom and and bile to turn on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, are there any other what, like what other thoughts do we have? When we walked into this, we said we were going to talk for like six hours. So I'm curious what other people think about anything. Like at this point, I feel like I've gone into so many fugue states. I may have Rita already Marino. said Yeah. We didn't talk about Raider Moreno. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. like that whole thing. I really like that part, to be honest. But <laughs> I which part? Because like, I just don't. I don't agree with the character at all. And then right. I think that also the, her taking one of Tony and uh, Maria's songs isn't a grand idea because it's like giving depth to this character who really doesn't require it. And like I understand it in a in a metatextual like, oh, she's lived her entire life with this this. Uh, this role in this story. But um, I don't think that really matters to me in terms of like, is it actually beneficial to the narrative? I don't believe it is. No, I liked the, the somewhere sequence, to be honest, it was, but the, it, there's, to me, the, I think there's like a kind of power in the general in a classic kind of Spielberg sense in that, that sequence. But at the same time, like it kind of, it, it over, uh, how do I put it? It over uh, it overpowered its kind of metatextual kind of intentions for me. I think of that sequence, but because huh. um, I, I, I think with that sequence, it kind of draws it out um, by giving her the song and then having her and the dot character in the photo. It draws out the kind of questions, kind of the the kind of how I put it. I don't want to put. <laughs> The, the broad it pulls out the thematic questions of the film kind of into a more broader sense that where if i think if the film was more like that it might have worked better in this kind of bigger general sense instead of trying to pull it back it pulled into too many uh too many kind of more challenging at least challenging for this material kind of contemporary questions i think if you know what i mean i don't know if i i don't know if i articulated that that well to be honest Hello. I was about to say, Robin. Any thoughts as the one who brought up Rita Moreno and also said you like the sequence? I liked her. Yeah. I was just curious what other people thought. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know that other people liked her too. So I like her. Fine. Too. Yeah. I like her in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what annoys me in about this kind of casting, which is very gimmicky, mm-hmm. is that. I could easily see her getting an Oscar nomination for showing up yep. and because yeah. people like people like that kind of trivia, like this yeah. person was nominated for the same exact fucking movie 50 years later. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can you can just imagine Helen Mirren walking yeah. out onto the days and saying, did you know that Rita Moreno was nominated for this same <laughs> fucking movie exactly. 60 like, years ago? <laughs> that slot could have gone to somebody who actually deserves it. That's mm-hmm. how I kind of feel right now. Yeah. And maybe I'm pre- I'm just preempting that, but I already saw that she 
she's already gotten at least one major nomination Mm -hmm. for like literally just showing up on set. That's what it kind of feels like. (laughs) I mean, she has to act against a a wet teddy bear. When she shot this one. Or how old was she when she made this one? It was like like 88 or 89 or something. Because she's 90 now, right? I think she did it for for an 89 year old. That's impressive. Like she did a better job than Clint did in Cry Macho, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, but isn't he like 106 now? (laughs) No, he's he's 91. He's 90. So he's about a year older than her when, when when he shot that one. Yeah, he does those... look a bit fragile, I have to say. I mean, he's he was having, he was having trouble walking in that movie. I couldn't believe it. Like, mm. <laughs> but he's old as shit. Like, give him a break. Give but him thought, a break. I, but he, but <laughs> I, I don't mean to be rude. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking around. But like, I thought, I thought he, he was pretty impressive. Mule, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought in the mule, he was like, he almost looked like a, like late 70s at most. And then suddenly he just. Yeah, I was shocked he was 91. Yeah. I mean, even though he looks, he looks certainly old yeah. quote-unquote i was not expecting him to be just nine years short of a hundred yeah yeah that's pretty <laughs> impressive <laughs> but yeah in the mule because he was so he was so much more agile on that one now he's like can barely move i was like damn he really mm. super aged like in a couple of years like wow <laughs> i mean i think rita moreno looks pretty sprightly but yeah, that's I kind do. of beside the point like it does she do a good job i think so i i'm i'm i thought okay this is a welcome presence do I think that this performance is one of the best of the year? Not even close. No, I also, I just, again, I, I don't think that, you know, expanding the role of doc in this way is, is it all really like useful? Necessary. And again, I, like I had already kind of said that I think that her becoming like, like, you know, it, it's almost like they had Tony walking around calling her like Abuelita, like, you know, just like, it's, it's just a little, it's a little, hate to say the word problematic but it's definitely the type of thing that would get called problematic in a movie if you've got the reformed white supremacist whose uh (laughs) only hope at redemption is because he was taken in by a puerto rican woman Mm -hmm. you know it's just uh it's not a good look i feel it just feels like it's not a great look (laughs) i see yeah no i get you it's chummy but I I thought the parallelism worked well. Which, like, about her doomed relationship and his doomed relationship? I don't think her relationship was doomed at all. Didn't uh, she? I'm sorry, but her husband's fucking dead, isn't he? <laughs> I think he died of, like, old age. Isn't he? Like, what... <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. But, like, you know, doom is doom. You know, if your fucking partner is going to die. I think we all die eventually. <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah, but the hope would be that you'd die together, you know, in a plane crash or a robbery. <laughs> Yeah, we can only hope. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't have a suicide pact with their partner? If you don't, break up with them immediately. I keep trying. Nick Red is flag. like, stop. <laughs> I was like, just in case, just in case this, you know, world ends. We need a plan. Have you ever seen the road? Do you really want to wander with our son without me? We should have a suicide pact. Oh, if I had a son, I would kill myself. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I would like the I like the idea that you would carry the child to term, give birth, and then kill yourself. Like, what am I gonna do with you? <laughs> I don't know. You're the state's problem now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I uh, uh, I don't know. I also don't like. I mean, like, I don't. I just, I, I, I keep wanting to like move the conversation forward, but the only way I have to keep talking about this movie is to say another thing I didn't like was. 
And another thing I didn't like joy. was the way that they moved uh, Cool to before the Rumble, and it became a fight between Tony and Riff. Once again, driving the wedge between these two characters that we're supposed to think are the best of friends, because that's the reason Tony would stab Bernardo to death. Um, <laughs> Sperm? Sperm to worm. Yeah, birth a to earth. A term I never wanted to hear. So what's interesting is that is original to the stage play. In the movie, mm. they in the first movie, the good movie, they changed it from uh, birth to, or no, womb to tomb, birth to earth. And then in this one, they brought back the original sperm to worm. But again, they say it like once to each other. In the original movie, they say it at least two or three times, so it has a meaning behind it. Similarly, in this movie, you've got Anybody's, who again is uh, the Hulk. Um, But she is like hanging around and keeps getting told to piss off. And... The the really like kind of big emotional catharsis for her character in the original movie is she stumbles upon the Jets post rumble and is like, Tony's alive. I got him the hell out of there. I did that. Also, I am aware that Chino's running around with a gun because I live in the shadows because I am, again, like a five foot one waifish young woman. Um, and then uh, what was it? Like, uh, Ice starts giving out orders because he has ascended to the throne um, and is leading the guys because he sings cool and tells everyone to be cool, boy, because the cops are going to come for them and they just got to act like nothing's wrong. Um, And Riff always called everybody, uh, oh, shit, buddy boy. Like, that was his thing. That's how you knew you were on the inside with him. And anybody's after ice gives out all of the orders, you know, he's like, you go North, you go South, you go to the docks and blah, blah, blah. And anybody's is like, what am I supposed to do? Thinking she's about to get cut out again. And instead ice is like, you keep yourself to the shadows. Like you've done good work. Like, you know, fucking keep it up, man. And she's like, okay, I'll do it. And he's like, all right, you know, Hey, you know, anybody's good work, buddy boy. And she smiles because the new leader of the jets just called her, the nickname that the old leader of the Jets called all of the Jets all the time. Um, you know, that kind of repetition, that meaning has built up over the course of the, the movie. And in this movie, it's like the only buddy boy that's spoken out loud. That's true. And so but I think that the theme, meaning is lost. And then she says, like, thanks, Daddy-O, and then, and then runs off to do the thing. It's really not lost. I mean, would the other... would. Would those nuances have added more depth? Absolutely, mm-hmm. but I don't think the meaning is lost at all. Yeah, but don't like, you want like depth and nuance in a movie? <laughs> I think I want the message to come across. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I guess that's um, kind of what I think. That's kind of what we're gonna like, more expect now from a lot of these guys, and there's like older period, a lot more directness. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's it's just a common thing with like I find with like uh, directors at this point in their career. Especially, you know, with uh, Tony Kushner, who doesn't understand what subtlety is. Uh, The man who wrote the script to Lincoln, where a bunch of soldiers can't remember the end of the Gettysburg Address, but then uh, two black soldiers come up and are able to say it word for word to Abraham Lincoln. Symbolism, baby. (laughs) Um, We haven't really talked about Mike Faced. Um, I think that's like the one kind of like, and and we didn't, I mean, we don't have to do it. Uh, There's been a big discussion about the use of subtitles in this movie, um, but we don't have to get into that. I mean, that's actually, that's an interesting subject to be honest. 
Well, so the, the it's funny to me because I I feel like Bill back me up on this because I couldn't remember. Um, when we talked about uh the ghost story, right? Um, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Do you remember that you had brought after we'd already recorded to us? I think it was linoleum knife. Um, yes. had a conversation about whether not subtitling the Mexican family in that movie was racist. Yes, that's specifically because like all of the because that film surrounded a white couple, mm-hmm. right? And specifically they had a section where the ghost appears and all of the family obviously doesn't speak English. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, the ghost is not able to translate because it doesn't speak Spanish, Casey Affleck's character, right? Um, and so there was this interesting thing about like what that, what the optics of that looked like. Right. Why have that? Why are we having these characters, you know, uh, that the ghost is feeling like is invading its home? Right. Um, and so there was just a negative connotation all throughout that. Um, and I think in a way, this film gets skirts that almost completely because it is dipping in and out, in and out, in and out between Spanish and, and mm-hmm. English. And even the characters are like, you're in, you're in America. We need to learn English because otherwise people are just not going to you know, be able to communicate with us and more than likely just be assholes to us. Right. If we can't speak their language, they're going to try and get a one up on us and everything like that. Right. So we need to know partly for our protection, but also partly to kind of assimilate. And there's like an interesting through line of assimilation in this, especially with, uh, the, um, the main character of the of the sharks, the head of the sharks. Uh, I can't remember his name. Bernardo. Right Bernardo. Oh, yeah, yeah. He very much wants to go back to. Uh, is it Puerto Rico or Dominican Republic? I think it's, it's Puerto it's, Rico. It is. It is Puerto Rico, man. Okay. It's this Puerto isn't Rico. in the Heights. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They even what? say, "I want to go back to San Juan," and then Anita goes, "I know a boat you can get on." Okay. Yeah. Well. Anyways. Um. He wants to go back to Puerto Rico and like have five kids, right? And of course, his and I, I never understood this either. It was just his girlfriend, right? They were not married. They were no, not. They're not married. In in the yeah. in, in the original, I'm sorry, I'm mocking myself now. In the original, Anita and Bernardo's parents are like still around too. And in this movie, okay. it's like I think that they're they're dead or something. I don't know what that has to do with anything. I just like okay. it, 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 it. Um, I feel like it ages up the characters of the sharks. Um, it, I think it's a, a means of like making them have more responsibility, but also mm. it, it makes it even more kind of weird that they're like bothering to fuck around with a bunch of like teenagers, even though they should ostensibly all be teenagers as well. Like the fact that they, they age up the responsibilities and like the kind of familial arrangement of uh, Anita mm. and Bernardo in relation to Maria makes it harder to track. I think their like motivations in, in continuing to engage with the jets. And that is one of the reasons why they have to then make it that the jets are like 
a roving hate group that's coming after the entire population rather than just like a group of kids that's fighting other kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the reason I was bringing that up is because he mentioned several times that, you know, he's having this gang fight over territory in New York, in America. Right. And yet he also at times says that very openly, he wants to go back to Puerto Rico. Like he wants to have five kids in Puerto Rico and he wants to go marry her in Puerto Rico and he wants to go live in Puerto Rico. And it's like, then why the fuck are you battling so hard about territory over here? Like it, it feel there's this weird thing going on where they're trying to assimilate and they're also trying to fight back against it. Um, and I don't know if this is like the plight of a lot of first generation immigrants or what. Um, and we don't even really know that, right? We just know they're in America. We don't know if he was born here or if he was brought over here, but either way he's here now. And so there, there is something interesting going on there. And I really enjoyed the fact that like, uh, when they get passionate, they speak in their native tongue. Um, because I saw that with my own grandparents and things like that. Um, if you have, if, if you are ESL, right. English is a second language. Um, a lot of times when you get heated or you get passionate about something or, you know, you're trying to rip something off really quick, you just revert back. Um, and I've, mm-hmm. I found that stuff interesting. Yeah, and because they revert back, there's still plenty of context clues of what they are saying. But right? I guess yeah. um, I, my the, my only pushback on that, and I, like, I, you know, when, when it happened in Ghost Story, I basically said, like, I don't think we need to know everything that's going on. It's a mother and her kids talking and we can tell through their, you know, actions, how they're feeling in that moment. And it gets it across and it would be a little weird to suddenly know what they're saying, but it doesn't really matter to me either way. And I didn't find it to be particularly problematic. The only reason I find it to be slightly problematic here is because they are in that moment, our point of view character. And I read a review on slate, oddly enough, which I made fun of earlier. And I don't think it was a review. I think it was like just a critical cultural essay. And they said that like at some point during uh, a completely Spanish conversation between Anita and Bernardo, she brings up the idea that he might have an issue with her in some way because she is darker skinned than he is. And that is not a thing that I saw or heard or picked up on anywhere else in the movie. And that, I feel as though I missed yeah, an essential yeah. bit of character building by not having access to that information in that moment. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I see what you mean actually. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, and I, I get it. I understand. Like you're making a movie about, you know, uh, a Spanish speaking population moving into a place and you don't want, maybe you don't want to feel like you're othering them by subtitling them, but you are making it harder for the audiences that are watching the movie to fully engage with the characters. If you deny them those insights. I agree. Also, I think is this, are we just thinking about that being unsubtitled too? Uh, which, uh, for which one? 
that that dark the darker skin thing yeah that, that's a, that was yeah. apparently something that was in their spanish language conversation that i right. was unaware of because i i, yeah. I speak some I spanish but too. not great spanish i mean honestly one thing that's kind of annoying like the movie is showing outside of america too like not everyone's fluent in spanish <laughs> right so like are they not gonna are they like if it goes into french are they gonna be like look we don't want to subjugate english or spanish you know yeah. so we're not going to subtitle it at all or are they only going to subtitle the english and the other thing is, I saw people online saying like, "Oh, white people can't understand the 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 Hispanic people," um, and I was I like, mean, "You know, you say that, but like, oh my god, there's so many fucking people in the world who don't speak Spanish." Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's not just white people. Like, I'm sure really, there are a lot yeah. of black people who don't speak Spanish. I'm sure the AAPI community is very confused by a lot of what's happening in this movie. <laughs> like, and I think that that is almost another way of like looking at the way that this movie and, and Kushner's mm-hmm. adaptation. Uh, attracts its or acts itself mm-hmm. because it does like it just splits it off into like there's white people and there's everyone else and it mm-hmm. kind of forgets that yeah, like there are numerous true. groups out there that need to be accounted for yeah yeah and that you can't that's create true. these monoliths like it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very strange but like yeah, i just totally i wanted to bring it up because it is a conversation that's been happening and i don't know that there's an know, answer even though like, i kind of I, I'm kind of with you almost on that. Like, like it should have been subtitled, I think, at the end of the day. But one thing I found is interesting is that, like, because there's it, these these big moments with no, like, uh, if you don't speak Spanish, you don't, you can't understand the dialogue. And alongside like the long musical sequences, even though it's like a musical, which is ironic, it's actually a lot of times, <clears throat> and this might speak to almost how um, maybe overtly general the film becomes to in a bad way. But it is the closest I find. Spielberg's ever done to like a straight up like silent movie from like, the twenties or something hmm. at times, um, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, because there's yeah. a lot of just expressive emotional. Mm-hmm. Like you could pick like, up which on. Is it. Interesting. I mean, because he started right when he, even though he wasn't like, really a cinephile on the same level of like say like a Scorsese or someone when he was growing up, he he did start making a silent sixteen millimeter films, you know, coming stuff together, learning the kind of language of movies through that. So it's kind of an interesting. Of, uh, you know, uh, like a full circle moment because that would have been around the same time you would have probably got this uh, this record for the <clears throat> the movie too when when that would have came out. Hmm. So it's interesting. Oh, little things. <laughs> All right. Well, we know that Neil's got to go. Are there any final other thoughts that we want to say before we get out of here? Um, I think I'm good. Uh, yeah, but thanks for having me on and stuff. It was fun. Absolutely. Uh, glad yeah, you were a... here. This uh, turned into a very good conversation. And yeah, I agree. It was a good discussion. Um, so that's that. Uh, let's uh, wrap it up real quick and then we can get out of here. Um, so that's it for your own thoughts on the West Side Story. If you'd like to share them with us. Uh, I did it. I did it. I had been so good the whole friggin' podcast and I just called it the West Side Story. Second time you did it. Damn you. I'm not damning you, he's Robin. Gonna, I'm damning definite no, articles. No, please damn me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Damn Robin and damn definite articles. Anyway, for your own thoughts on West Side Story, if you'd like to send them to us, uh, podcastfilmstage.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Or again, if you become a patron by going to patreon.com slash filmstage show for as little as that episode, you can scream at them uh, at us in real time on Slack and we will respond to them with emojis or GIFs or words. Um so that's that uh don't forget that we're also brought to you by movie which very soon will have a voyage of time from terrence malick so get excited get hyped get on it um let's see what what else what else is there robin what are we talking about next week 
I think we're doing Benedetta. Um, that's what's on the schedule, but let's let's not make any promises just yet. Okay, so we are not promising that we will do Benedetta, but we may do Benedetta. So get ready for that. I think people are getting ready for holidays, so I don't know when. But yeah, we'll see. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, Robin, we didn't do an orb report. Any orb reports in this movie? Nah. Wow, that's sad. All right. Um, so that's that. Uh, let's tell, uh, in that case, the fine people at home where it can be found between now and the next time that we are in their ears. Let's begin with our guest, Neil. Where can people find your stuff online? Just go to my Twitter account or my Letterboxd account. And, uh, my work right now is not online at the moment, but otherwise all writing can be easily found in my letterbox account. If you want to contact me for some reason, just, just met, send me a tweet or something like that. Awesome. <laughs> we'll What's also be your posting handle? your home address and your uh, telephone number for everyone. To find. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to dox you, but like in a really nice, polite way. <laughs> Robin, what were you What's your say? handle? Oh, it's just uh, at Neil Bahadur. Okay. Name. Indeed. And that will be linked in the show notes as well. Uh, Bill Graham, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram. And uh, currently uh, trying to figure out what happened in Formula One. Uh, the series ended or race season ended last night and it was bananas so yeah yep. my husband was having a good time while i was trying to sleep i'm sorry is is formula one popular what's happening i've never heard anyone yes. speak about formula one before and now bill's on it and robin your your fellas on it and yeah. two of my friends from college so got him there was into a it. A Netflix documentary or Netflix series called Drive to Survive that kind of goes into the backstories of a lot of the drivers and all the lot of the drive or uh, drama from mm -hmm. season to season. And so a lot of people fell into that in quarantine. And uh, this is the first season since quarantine and it's been a blast. So, but right. some real shenanigans happened uh, yesterday morning at Fucking 7 a.m. Yeah, real shenanigans. All right, interesting. Uh, all right, well, Robin, other than being kept up by Formula One racing, uh, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. I'm also on Letterboxd, um, I think, just also my name. And I've been, uh, you know, getting some pieces out there recently. Um, at least I know I've been working hard on them. So you can find um, a bunch of my writing uh, at The Hollywood Reporter. Mm -hmm. all right awesome uh as for myself um really just uh more of the same more of the usual for me you can find all of my stuff at uh brianjrowan.com you can follow me on twitter instagram letterbox and all that stuff at brianjrowan and uh yeah you can find my writing and uh every episode of this podcast over at thefilmstage.com where we will soon be releasing end of the year content uh, we made quite a splash on Twitter by saying that we would not be releasing a top 10 of the year list until Matrix Resurrections. Is that the one? Uh, nice. Yes. Resolutions? What is it? Resurrections. Yeah, until that one comes out. People were all like, hell yeah, good work, guys. Here's our top 10. <laughs> so <laughs> our, it was a lonely revolution, but it was one worth doing. Um, so that is it for us for today. 
So uh, kick back, relax, and join us next week when we might be talking about Benedetta. Real cool.